Welcome to A Bird's Eye View, the podcast where we take a deep dive into the world of ABA. Here's your host, Tim Crilly. Hello, and welcome to another episode of A Bird's Eye View, a behavioral health podcast powered by Raven. Uh, Today, we are joined by what feels like an old friend of mine. It's kind of funny. I feel like I've known her forever, but really only became truly uh, connected with her a few years ago. But since then, we've had a lot of great conversations um, about our industry, the things that we do as a community. So I'm really excited to have um, Kelly Birmingham on today. I always knew her as Kelly McKinnon. So if that name sounds a little bit more familiar to some of the listeners out there, it's the uh, the great Kelly McKinnon, now Kelly Birmingham, uh, joining us today just to sort of give her bird's eye view of the ABA world, our community, the things we're trying to accomplish. So Kelly, thank you so much for, for coming on. I, I do really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. <laughs> No problem. So, um, you know, the last time I saw you, I think we should just kind of get this out of the way. You know, I think you and I are relatively intelligent people. I think, you know, sort of those those of those out there that have met us would probably agree with that. But we found ourselves um, sort of on a journey looking for a room where you were going to be presenting at Calaba. And somehow we got locked out in the rain uh, of the convention center. And by the time we got back in, we looked like, you know, sort of two lost puppies that had gotten, you know, swept away in, in a rainstorm. So it's nice to see that, you know, you're inside, you're dry and you, and you found your way to our, to our podcast today. I defy anyone to replicate that. <laughs> it, it was, it was one of those things. It was almost like a, someone was playing a joke on us because we uh-huh. would like make a left-hand turn one time and it would end up in one spot and like okay this isn't right and then we'd go back and we make a right-hand turn and we'd end up right in the same same spot so it was pretty comical <laughs> but it was if I was going to get lost it was it was you're, you're a great person to get lost with because you had a great <laughs> sense of humor about it and so it was it, it's a memory that I'll I'll take with me for a while so with that um, why don't you just you know give the listeners a little um, introduction to yourself you know sort of you know, how you got here, what you're up to today, and, and we can kind of kick it off from there. Sure. And I'd like to think I'm reasonably intelligent too, but that day, oh, something Not happened. Not so much. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I'm, I'm in California, but I originally hailed from the East Coast. I was born and raised in Maine, actually, and then went to school in Boston and graduated a long time ago. (laughs) I started in the mid-90s actually working with adults with developmental disabilities and autism for um, a nonprofit company. And our whole, the whole point of that company was back then, um, individuals with disabilities were placed in institutions. Mm -hmm. And that's where they were left off, dropped off, not to be heard or seen from again. And then thankfully, um, and that's not that long ago, <laughs> right? A few years yeah. ago. Um, and then the in Massachusetts and across the country, they started to make changes and say, we're going to close down the institutions and allow these individuals to have, live in their own homes out in the community. So my very first job in the mid nineties was to help these individuals all. I oversaw deaf and behavioral Um, services. So I worked with adults who were either deaf and or blind and had a developmental disability and helped them move into their own homes. Most of them were 24-hour care staffed homes, um, some one-to-one staffing, some two-to-one. Then I also did see some independent living and employment programs, but that was my very first job in the 90s. And so I sort of fell upon it (laughs) because I had a friend um, who had was doing that work for my grad school program. 
And so that's what we did in the early 90s. I was young. I thought I could take on the world. These big giant men would come at me and I was fearless. I got pummeled a few times, <laughs> but it was super fun. And then in late 1990s into 2000 in Massachusetts, there was something called the Katie Beckett Law, which uh, provided regional centers funds to help provide ABA services to young children in their homes. And so a, a couple of people from that nonprofit went over to another company. I worked with Dr. Michael Cameron, Robert, yeah. Bob Ross. And those are my, those are my, the beginning of my supervision years. That was in like 1990. And the, I, we started doing ABA in homes back then. So um, I fell in love with understanding all things ABA and autism. I did pass my exam in 2003. So it's been 20 okay. years. <laughs> so you're, you're pretty, you're pretty early on in the ABA yeah. or the BCBA world that's great yeah i'm i'm the 1368th bcba okay. i think i think dr cameron is in that top 10 he uh, cohort. i think i forget what number he is but i know he's he's definitely high on that that or low on that that uh that number list um so you know you, you talk about you kind of like found aba so you know i think there's a, a certain generation of, of bcbas that i think would would describe themselves as either falling into it you know because I always joke like there's no one getting dressed up as a BCBA for Halloween <laughs> every year because like no one really knows what it is and certainly it wasn't really a thing when you started so right. I think you know I think that really plays well into the conversation I'd, I'd like to have because obviously you've had a you know a, a career that has seen a lot of change a lot of things that were one way are now different and probably a lot of things that were one way and are probably still pretty similar so but when you first started to to learn about ABA um what was it that excited you the most about it yeah so I think that for me it was the skill acquisition part it was always the ability to help kids you know toilet or you know begin to talk or get along with a family member you know you know decreasing challenging behaviors to me was always like part of the skill acquisition component and you know being able to understand how to break things down and teach children in ways that they might learn best so that they could acquire the skill that was what was always the exciting part for me and always has been yeah that's great i mean because you know it's think we talk a lot about you know behavior and things and everyone sort of thinks about the behavior we want to, you know, sort of reduce, mm -hmm. but you know, the, the the power of 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 the science and the ability to come in and and, and teach something and watch that happen and and the way it can change uh, that that family's life and you know, sort of, you know, that outcome. Like, what is that 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 parental stress level taking from you know from from point A to to wherever you can get it six months, twelve months exactly. later is is a really amazing process that I don't think people really focus on on enough. So I think that's great that you're, you know, sort of, that's what, that's what drew you in is that I can see literal change pretty quickly if I'm doing this route. And I think that um, the work I had done in the group homes, watching these individuals who had never had their own bedroom, right. Or mm -hmm. never, you know, eaten dinner at their own kitchen table and been able to access their own food, like in teaching folks, I can remember it was like early on pecs. <laughs> we used to take Polaroid pictures yeah. and hang them up. And this young woman who was pretty severe in her self-injurious behavior, um, just couldn't even fathom that she could ask for her own food. And so she'd just point to the picture and then we'd help reach it and get it. And to me, I was like, 
oh my gosh, the power of giving her the opportunity to communicate. To communicate. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it, it is amazing. I, you know, I'm sure at, at her age, it was probably a lot more eye-opening than when you kind of get that three-year-old to start, you know, mm -hmm. asking for things with, with pecs. Um, but what an impact it, it can have. And it's, it's those little things that, you know, it's those, those micro victories that can yeah. really have that, like, silly to say, but that macro sort of impact um, down the line. So um, pecs, I haven't thought about pecs in a long time. I know. So and I, I have, I have Dr. <laughs> Russell McGuire to credit for that because he, he chairs the Simmons ABA program. Now he was my very first uh, mentor and okay. he and I did not always get along and see eye to eye, <laughs> but he taught me so much. And he was the one who came up with the Polaroid picture mm -hmm. to menu for this individual to communicate with. And that for me, I'll never forget that. It was that. And then I helped a young man. <laughs> it's my favorite job. Uh, I helped a young man who, who he was independent out in the community. He was unusual. He had autism. He was had a lot of accolade language, but he would go out into, we, it was in Waltham, Massachusetts, and he would run into this bar and start screaming and yelling, and the police would come. And then we finally did analysis, and we figured out he wanted to go hang out at the bar. So wow. Fridays was me and Gregory, happy hour at the bar. <laughs> oh, <laughs> now that's a program I could get involved in. I, that sounds like a pretty fun uh pretty fun case to have uh -huh. uh, so you know I, I know some of the the work that I knew you for was around um, social skills and I, I remember in the early 2000 or mid 2000s hard to say it's all yeah. a blur at this point but you know all I could all I heard about in Southern California was oh Kelly McKinnon Kelly McKinnon and this is when I was with with aces and yeah. you know they were such a big fan of you so what what brought about that and what was that process like for you to sort of build out that that system and and, and a, a curriculum I don't know if that's the right word but yeah. um you know what 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 drove you there and and what are you most proud of from that that time you know I can pinpoint it exactly because I, I was in Massachusetts still and the it was you know this was in like 2001 on 2002 and I'm studying for my BCBA exam which I took with paper and pencil <laughs> and um, I'm working for under you know with some great people but it was still very much a DTT program and you know there was no curriculum we had let me hear your voice you know Catherine Marie's Gina Green original book mm -hmm. and that's all we had were sort of these like DTT skills because it was so young and then at, at the company I was at we started to create our own curriculum but I had a young man who was about 11 years old and I, he originally came to me because of um, failure to thrive and not eating and he was okay. very rigid about food and picky eating and very thin and sickly. But once we got past that, I started to realize he needed a lot of social skill help because he really wanted to interact with other kids and he just did it so poorly. And the, what I had just wasn't working. You know, I didn't have any guide to, to work me through. So for that year, I just started to play around. I, I actually went back and looked at developmental psychology and looked in their world because you know, that wasn't part of any of my training or programming right. at all. I've always been in, in behavioral counseling or behavioral psychology. And so I started looking at developmental milestones and what kids should be doing. And from that, I just started drafting a list of skills I wanted to help him acquire. And that did lead that I moved to California in 2000, uh, right around 2000, end of 2002. And 
I started to just figure out like what I wanted to do. And I picked up some private clients and then the list just kept getting longer and longer. And so all of a sudden I had all these skills that um, from the young age of like zero to six, up to like six to 12, up to, you know, 13 to 18 of all these skills. And it led me to writing that book I wrote that's old. It actually came out in 2000. 2003, 20 years ago, <laughs> Social okay. Skill Solutions. And I just kind of self-published it. And then thankfully, another publisher picked it up. But then when I moved to California in 2003, there were like four BCBAs. I can tell you who they all were. It's like Sarah Troutman and, you know, Joyce too. And, you know, there, um, and Yvonne Brunsman. Yeah. Like there were like a few of us. And, okay. um, <laughs> and, um, uh, Jonathan Tarbox, like that's, okay. that's like, yeah. those, those are who are not, around. Not a bad, not a bad group of BCBAs right there, to be honest. Right, right. But what I did find was when I was teaching these skills to kids, I found that they could do them great with an adult, but that I needed peers and siblings or children. And so that sort of morphed into these group of four or five kids that I were working with around the same age. And I brought, started bringing them to each other's houses. So we could all hang out. And then that slowly led into, I did have a private company from 2013. I closed it in 2014 for a bunch of reasons. But for all those years, I did have a pretty large facility. We had about 150 clients that came for social skill group, ABA specifically, which kind of became my passion about how to not only teach skills, but determine if someone was group ready. And if not, how to help get them group ready learning. That's great. I mean, it's just, it's, you know, I, I had a, a great conversation a while back with um, Amber Valentino from uh, Trumpet. Um, she wrote a book around um, doing research, like just look oh, yeah. around the things you're doing every day can be research if you want to do research. So, you know, it kind of reminds me of, you know, you were just doing the the work and you wrote it all down. So you might as well get it out there um and I think that's a great you know you didn't probably didn't set out to write a book I'm, I'm guessing you did it, it just kind of developed the, into these client and it turned into a book that's 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 really neat um can people still acquire that somewhere they can um the publisher is you know it's mostly an e-kindle version it's not great I do have a revised version that is with hedgehog publishing right now they're editing it now they're slow come on josh pritchard if you're listening <laughs> they're okay. slow but they do have it so it is an updated version okay cool well look for it because i know 20 years ago it was all the rage so I'm sure there's still <laughs> a lot of great nuggets nuggets in there so okay so speaking of, of 20 years um in those 20 years plus of sort of your your bcba life what have you seen as the the biggest improvement um, in today's landscape. So like, what, what do you like the, the most about sort of where we are as a community? Yeah, I can only speak for myself, my perspective, but there's two things that I thought about in one is there's more of us, right? I mean, the, the demand is still there, but you know, mm -hmm. back in the day, there was no one, there just wasn't mm -hmm. enough of us. And <laughs> well, you know, I mean, even, I mean, there just, there weren't enough people that had the understanding and training and people didn't understand what we did and didn't sure. always like us. And I guess some would say that that's still true um, in some cases, but you know, I can remember 
speech pathologists, occupational therapists were like, no way, you know, you're turning kids into robots. And I'd say, no, it's a kind, you know, with skill acquisition kind of thing. But um, there's that. And then I would also say for me, the biggest change I've seen is the cross collaboration among BCBAs. I can recall, and maybe it's just the where I was involved, but it was very competitive and people weren't always nice to each other. I mean, I presented at Cal ABBA twice in once in 2007, 2006 and 2007, and I got heckled. <laughs> like I was heckled by people and, and they were rude and mean to me. And I didn't go back for like eight or nine years because I just thought, what on earth would we do? And I just found that it because maybe because there weren't enough of us and it was so maybe competitive, but it was, there was a bit of a mean spirit to it sometimes. And now like company organizations like CASP, right? And then if you go to Cal ABBA, the collaborative panels were unbelievable this last yeah. year, like all different organizations coming together to share information to me, it feels like, you know, early on in the field, we didn't share anything with anyone. It was ours. We kept it a secret and, you know, you didn't collaborate. And now I just see a lot of cross collaboration. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, maybe not enough. <laughs> No, it's it's absolutely true. I you know, and I think you're right about the numbers. I mean, I think that's a positive, but there's also a you know a, a slight drawback to that because not everyone came up in a system like you right. did and were, were able to talk about the names that you were able to train under and learn from and you know ask questions, all those things. So I think you know that that is a, a great thing because the the need is is a you know a, a bolder rolling down a mountain and there's not enough BCBAs to sort of, you know, push it back. But that said, not every BCBA that is newly certified is really ready to do the things that they're asked to do on a daily basis. And it's not really their fault. Um, so, you know, I think you're right in one sense that it is, you know, we, we need the people, but we also, I think we need to reevaluate the way that we create this, this, this next wave or the next, you know, sort of 10 years worth of new BCBAs, if, if we could take a step back and and look at things from a different perspective and, and maybe have a little bit of a, a better training process than sort of exists at the moment. Well, that's my critique, right? You know, I spoke, you know, if I'm talking about positive things and maybe it's just my own perspective, like people wouldn't collaborate with me for years and years and years. And now people say, hey, let's mm -hmm. join forces. Um, but what I do see, and I, I I do feel very privileged. I worked under some tremendous folks who gave me a lot of time. And most of, most of the colleagues of mine that came around about the same time had the same experience, right? Like really great supervision, really, you know, time spent really understanding and learning how to implement strategies and techniques. And I just don't see that happening anymore yeah. because, you know, well, I mean, we all know the statistics, right? You know, like 50% of the BCBAs have only been certified for a few years. And the supervision quality, yeah, no years. question, yeah. three years. Yeah. And there's no question. That's the thing that every, that people are talking about is the, the programs are, it's interesting because the, the, the exam is getting harder, right? The exam seems to be getting harder. The um, skill set of the, it, the questions on the exam are really tough, but the application of those things in live time, I don't, I don't see where that's it happening. Yeah. It doesn't exist. Right. And in my day, there weren't, it, I don't, I don't know. The exam didn't feel as hard because I knew how to actually use you lived it. Yeah. Yeah. I lived it. And I just, yeah. you don't see that anymore. I think, yeah. People are just learning to pass a test. 
Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, I guess that's just kind of what happens. It's probably very common in other fields and we just don't know it, but you know, it's one of those, one of those things. So I um, also don't think there's enough training about autism itself. Now I understand everyone, ABA is not just for autism, but most of the people that are sure. in ABA are doing it to help kids with on the spectrum or developments of the abilities. I think there's very little training on actually understanding autism um, and any kind of coexisting medical conditions, um, how to work with other providers and the, the dynamic for the families and the caregivers. Like that's just uh, not existent. Absolutely. And it's a very complex situation with a very oftentimes volatile family situation and people are not necessarily always ready to, to go in and, and do those things. I think the, you know, the lack of caregiver guidance that's being um, implemented um, in today's ABA world is, is, is pretty appalling. I mean, I think we all preach that ABA is supposed to be a bridge. It's not, you know, it's not a lifelong thing. It's, to get you from here to here so you can go to school or you're ready for speech or whatever it might be and we all preach about pairing the parent and getting that mm -hmm. parent ready and and just not everyone is trained to do it not everyone really right. goes in and knows what they even want to do right. and then you end up with a sort of poor uh experience from the parent perspective yes and i think when you have one scheduled the parent and the bcba are both simultaneously hoping that the other one cancels yes <laughs> and i think more often than not they do end up canceling and it's like oh shoot now i can go do the things i'm really good at i can go do some you know case modification or you know go what go into a session or whatever agreed um, and it just sort of falls by the wayside and it's it's becoming a little bit of a problem and i think that's where from a regulatory standpoint we might see a little bit more um you know sort of a blowback from from that lack of uh, sort of utilization of that that code and and that the actual service that we're supposed to be For providing sure. mm -hmm. you know i i'm you know i come from a time very you know similar it's i'm, I'm a couple of years behind you i was started out yeah. teaching so i kind of got into it a little bit later but you know i think one of the positives i will say and it's kind of contradict what i what i just said but <laughs> one of the positives i do see is the fact that there are more stringent regulations around mm -hmm. who can do what because when yeah. i first started you know i was you know you're familiar with the california regional system that was my little world and you know there was really no requirements for who could do what agreed on those, on those cases and you know mm -hmm. you got like 10 minutes of training or 100 hours of training no one really knew and you were just in there working with these families, um, you know, I think all with the best of intentions. So I would say that, you know, sort of the insurance world getting involved has its ups and downs, yeah. but I think it has brought, um, a, you know, sh you know, shined a light on, on the community and it has brought better regulations and, you know, stiffer training and, and things like that. But I still think it's something that we could, we could do a little bit better at, um, you know, I think most of the training requirements are more spent around the RBT which is very important because, you know, mm -hmm. they're doing 90% of, of the time usually with that family, but um, you know, it, it's still not where it should be, but I think it's pushing us in the right direction. It's so true. Um, I can remember early on like 2004 and five, um, a guy who decided he was just going to be become a behavior specialist and started mm -hmm. a company and <laughs> had zero experience, except that he knew he, it was, it was okay. Is he the regional center or privately funded back then? And he knew he could get, you know, people with some money to pay him to hang out with their kids. 
And that's all it was, was hanging out. Yep. But under the guise of I'm a behavior therapist. Yeah. So, you know, it's like, I think to be an esthetician, there's like uh, 600 hours of training, you know, <laughs> and to be an wow. RBT, it's, it's 40, you know, so yeah. it's, it, but it, you know, it, it's also, we are an, an interesting community because I can't think of any other, especially in the medical world or behavioral health world where you, the organization pay for people to become the professional that you need them to be. True. You know, <laughs> like people don't just show up at the front door. I mean, obviously, you know, you, you're changing jobs and stuff, but for most part, we're, we're paying people within our organizations to become BCBAs because we need them so bad, you know, and, and, and RBTs like, Hey, do you think you might be good at this job? Come on in. We'll, we'll turn you into the thing we need to turn you into. Right. Um, you know, and I think we're not, if, if we could do a little bit better job of messaging um, to people in high schools and, you know, early on in colleges, maybe we could see a little bit better stream of people choosing this as, as a career, because if you find it late man, it's a lot of work, you got to go back and do a lot of things. And I think yeah. that becomes, you know, off-putting to some people that would probably be great future BCBAs, but just the journey to get there, um, if you didn't start early enough, can be very challenging. I know that CASP has a special interest group for California specifically, and they're looking at that because California is one of the states that identified that has the highest need right now across the country. surprise me. I mean, there's 40 million of us. So. Yep. <laughs> Do the math. Right. <laughs> so, okay. Um, what do you miss about the old days? <laughs> a couple of things. It's <laughs> a good question. Um, if this might just be me, I think as I'm, I'm getting tired, I'm getting a little <laughs> like, Oh, a little tired of things. I enjoy what I enjoyed about the insurance laws that changed, um, that mandates that came out, what I enjoyed was access for families, right? Like families weren't getting enough hours. Regional center, you know, Orange County Regional yeah. Center back in the well, day would give you, yeah, right? 12 hours, that's it. Um, and so the access to care um, and the amount of hours needed, I think is really, was huge. Mm -hmm. The two downsides I saw of it is one, I think that I always kind of see like, I feel like we're complicated so much with all of the, I mean, we, we have to monitor, it has to be monitored, monitored and it has to be done properly. And if a payer is going to pay, then we should follow what they want us to pay. But the hoops that some of these payers put us through to try to, you know, and, and expect us to change reports without paying for time, right? Like yeah. those kinds of things, like, you know, all of, you know, the denial of services here, denial of services there for sort of like seemingly random reasons. And I won't call anyone out, although I frequently do <laughs> insurance companies, but you know, those the hoops that they put us through as an industry, I, I, they're incredibly difficult, right? Yeah. And it used to be a little bit easier to overturn some of those, but the insurance companies are getting savvier at how they're going to deny and reduce. And, you know, the mandates that say, like, you need one goal per hour, let's crap, you don't, right? <laughs> but they tell you you do. And yeah. so that part of it's frustrating for me. And I'm not going to lie. Um, the other part of it are some of the larger private equity-backed companies I've worked for two now. Um, the bottom line is the number, right? Regardless of anything. Now, apparently, if you go on LinkedIn, you'll see some companies are investing that money back into their organizations. I have not felt it yet. <laughs> and the pressure for the billable hours and the caseloads um, 
to have a higher profit has been off-putting to me personally. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, my history is uh, very intertwined with both of those things. You yes. Know, you described, <laughs> you know, was, was sort of like one of the first BCBAs to, to have a, a role at a, at a health plan. And, you know, I went in um, thinking everybody did it the way Dr. Sharon Kerr does right. it, yep. you know, yep. and I was rudely awakened pretty, pretty <laughs> early on in my time over at Magellan, um, you know, so I think part of the problem is that not everyone operates the way they should. And it's right. those people, you know, 90% of all the authorizations or the, you know, reports that get looked at just fly right through. Right. And then you have certain people at certain levels within those health plans that all they see is that 10%. So their take on what ABA is, exactly. is based on all the stuff that would probably, you know, not all of it, but a lot of it would probably make you uncomfortable as mm -hmm. well. So I think that's part of, you know, part of the problem with, with some of the, the folks out there that sort of, um, you know, say certain things. It's because unfortunately all they're looking at is the stuff that shouldn't, shouldn't really be out there. Right. Um, you know, and then, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm in the middle on the private equity. I, I saw a lot of great things early. Um, mm -hmm. Agreed. But I just, I wonder if ABA is truly a scalable um, standalone um, sort of business model. I mean, I'm not, I'm not smart enough to know, um, but it just seems as though it's, it's, it's fluttering in certain areas and it's causing a lot of negative yeah. Um, sort of attention to to the space. So I hope I hope there's a turnaround. You know, this year or next year, we see some of that more more positive um, influence that these these groups can have. But right now, it's it's a struggle. Yeah. Well, I mean, what I saw in sort of like all the the, the hoops that insurance companies put us through is they're not raising the rates, right? They're not raising rates, and they're not paying for all the work that they expect. And that that's you know that's hurts the bottom line it also creates distress and burnout um and access for families and yeah. uh, you know i agree i you know i don't it'll be interesting to see how it plays out because and it, it'll be it'd be interesting to see if it's a state issue like it, what states like you know we know the big companies that pull out of oregon right like that all happened right and then you know some companies pulled out of california yeah you know, because, you know, all the massive layoffs that happened, you know, a while back. And, yeah. and so it'd be curious. I'm not smart enough to know if it's state specific, but I know here in California, it's challenging. Um, and, you know, people are making profits, but the kind of profits, you know, projecting out, you know, buying companies for millions and millions and billions of dollars, dollars. to me. Yeah, it's never really going to be there. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I would say I agree with a lot of those things. I think burnout is an issue. I think, you know, like increasing caseloads and, you know, not to do a shameless plug here, but I think that's part of what attracted me to coming over to Raven was the idea of tools like technology that mm -hmm. actually reduces a lot of that non-billable time. So people actually have the time to spend with their clients when they should be doing clinical work and not the busy work. So I think that's something that I see hopefully as um, something that, you know, people can get excited about moving forward is, is new tools. And I'm not saying just Raven, but, you know, for sake of arguments and if Kevin um, on our team is listening, he'll, he'll say it's just Raven. So, um, you know, <laughs> the, 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 the tools that I think should be available to our, to our little community 
for some reason were never developed and right. now they're starting to come out. And I think we could see a lot of positive change in that regard as we see an increase in, you know, technologically enhanced process and, and systems where you're not, you know, having to sit down and start from scratch and write a whole progress report because the progress report's been being built for you the whole time while you're collecting that you know, daily information while you're working with the clients and, you know, a, a, a clinical note that is done and ready to go as soon as the session's over and you can, you know, kind of close it out and move on to the next thing. Like those are the kinds of things that I'm excited about as this, this next wave. Um, and that's where I see, you know, sort of um, that bridge between uh, all these worlds. And can we start to communicate a little bit better payer to provider to family? Um, and and I'm, I'm excited about some of those um innovations that are coming what are you excited about what's something that you're excited to see happen i agree with everything because it's the busy work that gets in the way of the true work and so i definitely think technology is super un is you know super underutilized i can think you know i've worked with a couple different scheduling programs now not particularly helpful, worked with, not Raven, by the way, <laughs> I've worked with, you know, some different um, data collection systems, more cumbersome and clunky than, yeah. you know, worth it. Um, I kept finding myself going back to paper and pencil to sort some things out because it was so clunky. And then, um, you know, just all of the day-to-day track, like if something developed a, a progress report for me along the way, my God, that would be amazing. So wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> It's pretty cool. I've seen some some that's of the early, super cool. the early versions. It's going to be really cool. Um, you know, and I think that's what you know we're our, our mission is. It's that that clinician should spend ninety nine percent of their time doing clinical work. Exactly. You know, and I think mm-hmm. we're 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 going to get this this industry there. And I think you know it's it's something that can hopefully help with some of those things because, um, you know, we are we are a little bit of a rinse and repeat kind of community. And then we like to sort of complain about why nothing's getting any better. And then we That's wake up and way. do the same thing tomorrow. So uh, I'm excited about, you know, the, the next, next couple of years of, of, of change. And, you know, as, as you and I get older, the workforce gets younger, mm-hmm. the families <laughs> that people are working with are younger, you know, and I think they're more used to a technology that, that looks different than some of the, the the systems that are out there right now. And I think that's something also that, you know, that, that Raven can, can offer is that ability to sort of feel like all of the other tools that you use in your, your daily life to order food, get around and, and things like that. So absolutely, you know, could mm-hmm. be, could be some cool stuff coming. And I'm, 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 I'm hopeful that, you know, people like you will, will really enjoy it and, and see that benefit because you, you know, you've earned the right to have some of those, some of those things at your disposal as well. <laughs> Thank needed. They're much needed. Okay, before we before we wrap up here, um, what are you up to next? Where can where will people see you milling about and you know getting lost in in giant corridors? Um, so, you know, <laughs> sort of what's some some speaking engagements you might have coming? Oh, thanks. You know, I'm I'm kind of going back to some roots. As I've gotten older, I'm I'm kind of splitting myself like I used to always do. I am working in severe behavior right now. Um, I'm getting a little too old for so taking some of the hits, yeah. but I'm doing it so okay. far. And then I'm also going back to um, more a little bit about skill acquisition, particularly as it re- relates to two topics. And then so I am presenting at CASP 
Um, okay. I'm collaborating with two other organizations on safety, okay. uh, you know, talking of just about, you know, both hospital visits, wandering and elopement and fire ready safety. And then I'm also doing some uh, workshops on joint attention, actually. Okay. And, you know, joint attention is a behavioral cusp and, you know, the importance of that early learning skill for a lot of folks. And so you can, if you look me up on Kelly Birmingham on LinkedIn, you can find me. I, I am doing some trainings. I have a website just coming out now called socialskillscollab.com. Okay. And then I also do do a podcast. It is myself and a mom. And it is, we take topics related to autism and ABA and run them through a BCBA's perspective and then a caregiver's perspective. And you can find that on Apple Podcasts. It's called A 25-Year Look Across the Spectrum. Cool. I'd be more than happy to come on as a guest. I'm, I'm, inviting, <laughs> I'm inviting myself. What a great idea. Cool. All right. <laughs> I'm Done. Kidding. Well, I mean, I'm happy to, obviously. Yeah. Um, well, that's great. I'm going to be a CASP. Um, I'm really excited. Oh, cool. I'll see I, you there. It's my, it's my favorite it's my favorite conference. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know why I just, I, I think the size of it and the people that attend are, you know, really the, the people that you want to sort of get in a corner with and, and pick their brains and stuff like that. So, Agreed. um, you know, I, I, I'll look forward to seeing you there, um, and a chance to sort of get caught up, but also I know there's going to be a lot of great people there that I haven't seen in a while. So it'll be, it'll be good to, to get out to, to Tampa this year. Yeah. <laughs> Kind of an interesting place for Casp. It's always been way, way out west. So I guess yeah. they finally had to flip it and go way east. But yep, <laughs> um, it's it, it'll be fun. Uh, Tampa is actually a really nice town. Yeah. Um, well, Kelly, I, I really appreciate it. Um, you know, I think you have a, a very broad perspective. I mean, you really are a pioneer in this community, and um, you know, it's I've always I always knew your name. Uh, but never really had a chance to get to know you. And it's been great over the last couple of years getting getting that opportunity. So I look forward to our ability to collaborate moving, you know, down the road in the future. I'd, you know, I'd love to work on projects with you anytime you want, or, you know, if you need someone to write the foreword for your next book, um, you know, cool. Trent will help me. He'll, Trent will just put it on an AI thing and it'll spit it out <laughs> for me. It'll be perfect. It'll be beautifully written. Awesome. So, um, <laughs> Thanks, you guys. You know, Thank you for joining us. Um, and, you know, anyone out there listening, I, I hope you enjoyed the conversation with with Kelly Birmingham. Um, she'll always be Kelly McKinnon to me. <laughs> but, uh, you know, please, please share um, this podcast with anyone that you think might benefit from it. And I appreciate you guys tuning in and listening and look forward to um, having more future great conversations. Thanks for having me. This has been a Bird's Eye View by Raven Health. To stay up to date on all things Raven, visit us at ravenhealth.com.